Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. In this episode, I want to take a step back, actually a couple of step backs for some of you, and talk about something that you you may, if, you, if you've been around Linux for a while, you may think you already understand. And I think many of us do mostly understand, but there are subtleties to this topic. And if you're new to this, to, to Linux, then this would be new to you and, and it would be uh, new information. But I mean, either way, I think that this is kind of of interest to a lot of people. And, and it's one of those things that I think after a fashion, you start to either take for granted or just accept that it's really, really confusing and big in scope and it's beyond your understanding. So you'll just kind of look for an explanation when it comes up. What is this? What is this topic that I'm talking about? It's file permissions. And I know, I know you, you're thinking if you've been using Linux, you're thinking, I already know this, but wait, there are subtleties to file permissions that some of us don't realize. For instance, if I were to ask you about a file that was set to read only, read, 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 so that's 444, and I said, I want you to rename that file without using sudo or su, would you say that that was possible? If you say that that's not possible, then you don't know as much about Unix permission, file permissions as you thought you did. How's that for a hook? Okay, so it turns out that file permissions, I mean, it is a bigger topic than I think either we, we realize or it is as big as we realize, and that's why we don't delve too deeply into it. It really is a complex issue, and it seems kind of simple on the surface, but I was I was looking for documentation on the subject beyond the obvious. You know, the, the obvious documentation, the obvious articles online, the, the dime a dozen chapters in every single Linux training manual goes through the 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 way that you set you know the way that you add up the numbers and come up with seven 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 or seven five five or seven hundred or six four four you know whatever um and and that's kind of and then maybe they also mention gr- graciously the sh- the shortcuts like u plus r u plus rwx comma g plus x comma o minus w x and 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 that's it's very trite it tends to be because it it, it just kind of it, it does make it seem like a very simple process which is i mean that's Sometimes that's good, that sometimes that is actually all you need to know. But again, there are subtleties, and, and I wish there was that, that, that other level of articles, and you really don't see it. And I thought, well, maybe that sort of thing is explained in Chamad. Maybe that's the, the man page of Chamad would, would explain that. It doesn't, doesn't tell you. It, it, Chamad assumes you already understand this stuff. It's Chamad assumes you already read all the training manuals, and all you need is a reminder of how to use just sort of like, what's this thing about file permissions? Hey, here's the real quick paragraph about it, and here's all the here's the options you might need when using this command. That's it. Uh, the 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 actual documentation is sort of um, I don't know if buried is the right term, but it's it it is it's there. You just have to look for it. 
It's an info page, and it is info space quote file space permissions close quote. That'll get you to uh, at least on 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 Slackware uh, chapter or or you know node twenty seven file permissions. That's that's where I'm put when I type that in. I got here the long way around, but that's the shortcut to get right here. You just do info space quote file permissions close quote. And you're there. And you can read all about it. You you start with the mode structure, the symbolic modes, the numeric modes, the operator numeric modes, and the director set UID and set GID um, commands. And it's a really interesting read. But what I decided, I was going to take a, a very systematic approach to this to this issue, like really trying to understand all the subtleties of of file permissions. And so I created a directory for every co possible combination, or not, sorry, not every possible combination, for every mode of, of, of execution, uh, of, of rather, uh, file permissions. So, I, I'm, I, I first, I should say, created a directory called just top level, and I, I left that as the default permissions for my system, which is 775, is what I have that set to. Maybe that wasn't the default, but that's what I set it to anyway. And this is, uh, I, I gave myself, I've got a user, I've got a group uh, that I'm a member of, and then of course there would be other, which would be some other user that I would have to create on the system, which, uh, let's not worry about that too too much yet. So, I got a directory here, dir 077 So, the permissions on that, if I do an ls-l in top level, uh, I see that dir 077 has the permissions of blank, 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 rwx, rwx. And just in case you are unfamiliar with this stuff, rwx is read, write, and execute, which according to the info pages on file permissions indicates permission to read the file. For directories, this means permission to list the contents of the directory, okay? So that's R. And that's worth, uh, you could think of it as 400 points. And I'm doing it in the hundreds and tens and ones places because that's how it gets structured in the end. So 400 for reading if you're the user who created, who, who owns the file. Write is permission to write to parentheses change, close parentheses, the file. For directories, this means permissions to create and remove files in the directory. So that's worth 200 points if you're the user who owns that file. And then finally, you have permissions to execute the file, that is, run it as a program. For directories, this means permission to access files in the directory. And that is worth 100 points if you're the user who owns the file. So, that means that if you have read, write, and execute permissions, that's 400 plus 200, that's 600, plus 100, that's 700, 7. That's a 700 value for that file. Now there, you have to do that same operations for the group who owns the file. That's 40, 20, and 10 points. And then you have to do the same uh, process for all the other users on the system that might, for, for some reason, be able to see the directory, top-level directory, and that would be 4, 2, and 1. So in the end, you get like 777. Well, that's all access. Everyone, both the owner of the file, the group who owns the file, and everybody else on the system 
can read, write, and execute 777, that file, and so on. So in this example, 077 means that I have, as the owner of that file, I have no permissions of any kind, read, write, or execute, for this, for this directory, I should say. And then everyone else, the group of which I'm a member, and everyone else on the system can read, write, and execute. So you might think from, from sort of just hearing about that, that cascading level of, of ownership and, and permissions, you might think that in a directory, for a directory, marked 077, that as the user who owns the file, I have no ability to look into the, into the directory. Um, but I am a member of the group that owns that directory, so I should be able to look into it as, as a member of that group. But let's test that out. If I do an ls dir 077, cannot open directory dir 077, permission denied. So even though I'm a member of the group, because I am the user who owns the file, that directory, and I am explicitly forbidden from looking into that directory, the, the user permissions supersede the group permissions, and I cannot see into the directory. Even though that's my directory, I created it as, the, as the, this user, Klaatu. I'm a member of the group, Clatu uh, or users or whatever it is, but because my username matches, or rather my user ID matches the user ID that has zero permissions, I, I cannot look into that into that directory. Okay, so if you if you knew that, then congratulations, that's impressive. Um, I didn't know that before doing this, um, so that was that had been a surprise to me when I when I sat down to do that. Okay, so um, let's let's talk about. What if we set a bit in here that um, that gives Clatu execute permissions on that directory? Well, let's go real quick up to info, file permissions, go down to mode structure. It says uh, permission to execute the file, run it as a program. Or for directories, this means permission to access files in the directory. Okay, so I'm going to do it ls on dir 177 so i've set the execute bit on this on this directory and now i'm going to do an ls and uh what do you think dear listener do you think that i could see into that directory or do you think i cannot see into that directory with the execute bit for my user set so the permissions for this are 177 i've given myself 100 points for executable bit 177 can i see into that directory no Cannot see into that directory. Um, it says cannot open directory 177. Permission denied. So the interesting uh, question then maybe is, well, how can you access something if permission is denied to look into the directory? Well, what if we were to do something like touch dir 177 slash um, foo? Can I create a file in that directory? Dir cannot touch dir 177 a touch. Cannot touch dir 177 slash foo permission denied. So executable bits not helping me a whole lot here. Okay, well let's increment the permissions again. Let's add another hundred to it. We'll end up with a directory uh, called dir 277. And if I look at the permissions of that, sure enough, it's nothing W nothing wrx wrx so again as the user who owns this directory i have write permission only 
It's because I've added, you know, I've, I've incremented the, the bits assigned to this, to the, to the file mode. All right, let's do our ls test again on 277. Cannot open. That's not surprising at this point. I don't have execute and I don't have write, I don't have read. Uh, all I have is write. It doesn't really imply anything about looking into the directory. What you might expect though maybe is a touch dir 277 slash foo because you can at, 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 you know you you can write you have the right bit um but once again if we go to that file permission um node and we look at the definition of write permission to write to or change the file for directories this means permission to create and remove files in the directory so this should in theory work and yet touch dir 277 foo failed. Okay, uh, I guess another good test is to cd into dir, for instance, 277. Or, yeah, a cd test is actually, w would be good good to do. So let's, let's see um, what happens if I cd into dir 277. It says permission de denied. But what if I try to dir, uh, cd into dir 177, the one with execute bit? set. Well, that actually works. I can't list anything once I'm there. I can't touch a file, but I can cd in and out of a directory with the execute bit set, but not the, the directory with just the w set. So what kind of powers do I gain if I have both? Well, let's increment that bit again. So now I've got dir 377. So if I do an ls on 377, you can't open the directory. Can I touch a file in dir377? Yes, I could touch dir377 slash foo successfully created a file called foo, presumably, in dir377. Presumably. I say presumably because if I list, if I do an ls of 377, I can't see into it. So I just, I'm taking it on faith that foo got created. Can I cd into 377? Yes, I can. Still can't read the contents of 377. So I'm going to just cheat a little bit here and do a sudo ls just to double double make sure that foo is there. And yes, of course it is there. So that's good. That actually did, did work. And it got created with the default permissions uh, for my system, which is apparently 664. I guess that must be the... Um, yeah, that makes sense for a... Yeah, yeah, that that very very much makes sense. Okay. Okay, so that's great. So 377 or... Right? Yeah, 377 is, um, is kind of an exciting benchmark for us at this point. We were able to CD into a directory. We were able to make a file there. We just weren't ever allowed to see the file. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if we went into back into 377... Let's do, for instance, an echo hello world into foo. That works, of course. And then let's do a cat on foo, and that works. So we, we can, I guess, in that indirect way, we can confirm that foo is there. But if you do an ls on, you know, in, in that directory, it's, you're, you can't see it. So that's a really unusual state to be in. And I, I don't imagine you would, typically find yourself in that state. I mean, this is, I don't know why someone would have a, a you know, the permission set to 377, except maybe by accident, but that's a, that's an interesting spot. Okay, 
enough of 377. Let's um, let's take a look at the next level up, which is 477. So 477 means that I got 400 points in my user mode, my, my file permission mode. 400, if you'll recall, mapped to the read ability. And I guess I could go back to the file permissions node in info and look up read. It says permission to read the file. Yeah. For directories, this means permission to list the contents of a directory. So that's exciting, possibly. So if I do an ls on 477, it doesn't give me an error. I think that's what the first time I've not gotten a list error, right? Um, so that's really neat. Of course, the directory is empty because I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm literally creating new directory. I created a new directory for each file mode. So each each directory that exists starts out empty. So this is a new directory with permissions 477 and it's empty, but but I can list, I can list that it is empty. Um, if I do something like echo hello into dir 477 foo, however, permission is denied. And of course I was just doing that as sort of a shortcut. I could also, do, or a, a, a not shortcut, I could also just touch dir 477 foo, doesn't matter, it, it won't let me. I have no permissions to do that. Can I CD into 477? What do you think, dear listener? If you said that permission would be denied, you're correct. Read read doesn't give me the permissions to change directory to that location. It, it simply lets me list the files in that directory. And that's it. That's what 477, or that's what read permission gives you. Okay, well, what if we do read and execute? Uh, that would be... 577, because that's 400 points for read, 100 points for execute, 500, 577. If I do an LS on 577, as you can imagine uh, by now, you're probably catching on, that's permitted. I can, I can do that. But can I touch a file in 577? That's the question. Uh, I have to type the name of the directory correctly in, in order to determine that. Um, touch dir 577 slash foo, permission denied. And, and you may have anticipated that because probably getting the idea that the right bit wasn't set, so that wasn't going to work. And and as it turns out, that is correct. It, it does not, in fact, work. So that's read and execute. Now, of course, because I have that execute bit set, I can cd into the directory. I can list the empty directory. It's just that I can't, I can't seem to. If I do echo hello into foo, doesn't work. Yeah, it just doesn't, um, I can't create a file in 577. Okay, so if I increment this to 677, which gives me uh, 600, of course, is 400 for the read bit, and then 200 for the write bit, and then nothing for the X, the, the no 100. So 4 plus 2 is 600. So that's read and write. So I would, I would anticipate that I could list 677, and do you remember whether or not I'll be able to create a file in here, dear listener, with read and write permissions set? Can I touch foo? No, cannot. Permission denied. Why is that? Because the execute bit isn't isn't there. If there was a wx, I could create a file, remember that, but I wouldn't be able to see it. I wouldn't be able to list the contents of the directory. I could cat the contents of the file, but in this case, there's no execute. I can't I can't make a file appear there. Well, the only one left is 777, so that's RWX. So once again, we would anticipate the ability 
to list files in dir 777 and I should be able to echo hello into dir 777 foo and then of course I could list it again to actually see that foo exists and I could cat I could cat foo to get my hello message I can cd into 777 so of all the the experiments that I've I've done here um two of them successfully permitted me to create a file called foo in a directory and those two settings were the one with W and X set and the one with R, W, X set. So in other words, the, the magic combo, if you want to create files anyway, W, X, that's important. So now let's, let's look at the effects of permissions as they cascade and interact with one another. So for instance, I'm going to go to the dir777 directory. I mean, again, it's just the really the, the important thing here is that first seven, like the, the seven seven at the end in this case, as I've shown, doesn't actually affect anything. I am the user who owns these file, these directories and and the files that I'm creating. So the, the last two values could be anything. They could be zero. It wouldn't matter because the computer sees me as the user who owns these files and directories. It's not basing any of its interactions on the group permissions or on you know it's not treating me as a as a group member it's not treating me as a, certainly other user it's treating me as the user and and that's that's what it's basing these permissions off of okay so i'm in 777 i'm in a, a seven the read write and execute environment i have this file called foo the file foo has a uh, 664 permission. So again, the only one that actually matters in this instance is the RW at the very front, the 600. So it's telling me that I have read and write permissions on foo. So if I cat foo, I sure can read it because it just said hello. If I echo world and then redirect, redirect into foo, and then cat foo again, I get hello world. So I've just written to it. Can I execute it? If I do a dot slash foo, says uh, bash foo permission denied. So no, it will not run foo as a shell script. I guess, I guess really quickly, I could make this a shell script so that that test has a little bit more meaning. So I'm going to do an echo space single quote hash exclamation mark slash bin slash sh and then i'll do echo again um and then i'll do single quote echo hello close single quote redirect redirect to foo and now if i cat foo i've got shebang slash bin slash bash echo hello on the second line so in theory and i guess i could test the theory sh dot slash foo that that does run it as a script um because I'm not running it as a script. I'm launching a subshell that uses the contents of foo as its input, and it processes it and spits out hello. Okay, so here we are. We've got read and write um, permissions for foo. Well, I guess let's just cycle through the permissions again. So I'm going to do a chmod 0, I don't know, 7, 7 on foo, and now I shouldn't be able to do anything with foo. Cat foo, nope. Uh, echo world, redirect, redirect into foo, permission denied, uh, and then I guess just just for, for kicks, let's do a dot slash foo, just make sure that we can't run it as a script. Nope, can't run it as a script. What if I did a sh dot slash uh, foo, permission denied. 
So it, it won't even run it won't even run foo as a script when preceded by sh because I don't have permission, right? Okay. So I mean obviously if I try to for instance let's just try to move mv foo to bar. That's not going to work, right? Right? What do you think, dear listener? Do you think that's going to work? It works. Move foo to bar when permissions are 077 or 000 if you like that works in fact i can i could do that i could do a chamad well pseudo chamad well actually no let's do that chamad as normal user klaatu 000 to well now it's called bar so if i do an ls-l i've got zero permissions on bar now i'm going to move bar to foo and guess what it works now if you didn't think that was possible um welcome well join the club i mean it kind of takes you by surprise if you don't really really think about what's going on here and what's going on here is that this file foo exists in a directory you have execute permissions on that directory. So you can you can affect the contents of the directory. You just can't you can't act upon the the contents of the contents of the directory if that makes any sense. So if I do a, a cat on foo, of course permission is denied. Uh, if I try to echo something into foo, it's denied. If I try to execute it, it's denied. Moving the file, however, is considered a directory function, not a not a file function. And I think that especially is a little bit puzzling because you think, well, but, but I'm changing the file. But you're, you're not. You're changing the listing of the file, believe it or not. And, and because you have sufficient permissions on the directory, you have permission to control, to, to affect the directory listing. Okay. So I'm going to back up, back out of here. I'm going to move this directory 777 to just, I don't know, AAA or test, I guess would be easier, but really how about a test would be better because I want it to, how about Z test? No, a test is easier to say. Okay. So now I've got a test ls-l 777 on on a test. Okay, good. So I'm going to do a chmod 677. Do I want to do that? I don't think I want to do that. So, well, I'll do it just, just in the interest of, of completion. 677 of a test. So if I try to go into a test, of course, permissions denied. If I try to move a test foo to a test bar, permission is denied because I can't, the executable bit is not set. So th there's no surprise there. I don't think. So now I'm going to um, move that down to 577 for a test. So now I can go into a test because that executable bit is set at 577. So it's a read for 400, execute for 100. There's no 200 point set. So it's just four and one, five. That's the 577. And uh, foo is still zero, 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 nothing, nothing, nothing. Now can I move foo to bar? Well, I've got the read and the execute. Seems pretty good. Can I move foo to bar? No, I cannot move foo to bar. Why can't I move foo to bar? Is it because of foo's permissions? So if I chamod like 777 to foo, does that now can I move it to bar? Foo to bar? No. Still can't move foo to bar. So again, a little bit confusing here because 
the file itself has its own permissions, but it's being governed when we're trying to rename it by the directory listing. And the directory listing we can read, uh, we can move into the directory itself, but we cannot write. There's no write permission for the directory. And writing a a directory listing is part of the W permission, and so we cannot move foo to bar, nor could we touch bar or touch baz or anything else. You, there's no write permission on this in this environment. That that does not that's not something that we have in a 500 uh, file permission mode. There's just no write bit set, so can't move foo even if its own permissions say that I have full control over foo. So for instance. In a 577 directory, I can do echo, single quote, echo world, close, single quote, redirect, redirect into foo. I can cat foo to see that it's still a shell script. I could even execute foo right now, right? Because I've got the execute bit set all of a sudden. So if I do a dot slash foo, I, I see the, the, the output, hello world. So it's functioning. I can write to it. I can write to that file, that is. I can execute that file. I can read the file by doing uh, a cat on foo itself. I can read the contents of foo. I can write to the contents of foo. I can execute foo because I, I, because I gave foo permission to do all of those things or myself permission to do all of those things to foo. But the directory listing itself only allows me to read and execute. E execute meaning move into that directory. Read meaning list the direct the contents of the directory. But write, I cannot write the to the contents of the directory. So I cannot create new files here. I cannot rename a file to another name because that is essentially creating a new um a new file uh, a new a new directory listing in, in yeah, that that I think that's probably the best way to think of it is that you're you're manipulating or not the directory listing. And that really, I mean, that's a, a really weird distinction to make and one I don't think we often do make. But it can be confusing because you, if you think that the directory permissions sort of trickle down into other, in, into its contents, then, I mean, in some ways that's true, but but in, in a lot of ways that's not correct. And, and that itself, I think, can be confusing. And I think that if you really, really stretch and kind of remind yourself that the the old adage that everything is a file, then you can kind of imagine a directory instead of imagining it as a, a physical like folder. I'm, I'm reaching around on my desk right now to pretend like I have a folder. I don't know why I think I have a folder on my desk. I, I don't have folders. But if I did, I would be picking one up right now. You know, instead of Thinking of it as a folder where you put physical objects into, I do think that maybe the term directory is better because if you think about a directory, I mean, what's what are the directories in your life? Probably not many, but the one that I can think of is like a phone book or a a notebook or or a, a reference book. You don't put things into those books; you look them up. And and maybe like here's here's a D and D book, right? Dungeons and Dragons. And you've got actually it's not a Dungeons and Dragons book. It's 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 a Starfinder source book. But I mean that's it's a tabletop role playing game book, right? And and it's got a bunch of text in it that I look at frequently when playing games. I look at that text because I need values out of it. That's a directory listing. Now, if they come out with Errata, which with Starfinder they do a lot. Um, then maybe I need to change something in that book. 
And so I take a ballpoint pen, because I'm just, I, I do that sort of thing. I just write in books. I don't, I don't care. I'm not one of those people who cares. Um, and I'll scratch something out and put in a new value. And that's because I have read and write permissions on that book. I can read it, but because I own pens, I can also write in the book. But I'm not generating a new page in the book, you know? Like, that doesn't, that's not something that you really, that's not, I don't, I don't populate that book with, with new, new entities. I just manipulate what's listed in it. And in a way, I think, if you think of it that way, if you think of a directory as more of, like, a book with printed reference things in it and the the file listing when you do an ls rather than moving around a room rummaging through physical files on a desk you're just looking at a, a list of the things that the desk or the room or whatever contains it's a layer of weird abstraction that we don't think about and i think a lot of the gui applications out there has kind of trained us for better or for worse, to think of it, to imagine it as a, you know, a physical sort of computer representations of physical objects. But I think that can be confusing. And, and file permissions are confusing enough without that added layer of, of confusion. So I don't know, have a, have a play around with, with all the different permissions, because it is really, really enlightening. If you sit down and actually go through sort of the exercise that I've just demonstrated, where you just cycle through the permissions, cycle through the permissions for directories, and then for the files, and see how they interact with one another, see what you can and cannot do, you, you'll, you'll get a couple of surprises in there. There are some, there, there's more to it than this, not a whole lot more. There's a bit more to it than this. There are certainly umasks, and set uid, and set gid, and obviously the sticky bit, and all these other things that, that no one really talks about, but I don't know, probably arguably we should, but it's kind of edge case, so maybe we shouldn't. Um, there's also a, you know, what happens when you do, like, um, plus capital X instead of plus X when you're granting executable permissions. Do you know? If not, look it up in the info file. It's it's kind of a mildly interesting um, tidbit of information. So that is, that's, that's the real story on, on Unix file permissions. It's, it's not exactly what we've been told. It's, it's different. It's, it's more subtle than the real big generalities that we normally get, but I, I thought it was an interesting exercise to, to put them each to rigorous testing. And that is what we have just done. It's definitely, definitely time for coffee. Let's go get some coffee. We'll come back. We'll read some listener email, talk a little bit about computer GUI dysphoria, and who knows what else. Let's go get coffee. <laughs> I have coffee. You should have coffee. I mean, really, you should have coffee. We just went through every single file permission in depth, so you should have coffee. Uh, this coffee is very good. Thank you. Hopefully yours is too. I wanted to kind of mention, kind of backtrack and mention what I was sort of hinting at there in the 
in the end of the file permission segment, I used to, and I think I've probably mentioned this before on the show, but it, it may as well be mentioned again. I used to, as a as a novice computer user, and I, I'm talking novice, novice computer user, like not novice Linux user. This was way back before Linux. I used to honestly, I think, think that the objects, quote-unquote, on on the computer screen were objects like physical object i mean i knew that they weren't physical objects i i didn't think i was looking into a cardboard box full of actual physical tangible objects but my understanding of them somehow were as if though they were physical like the the concept that a a file could be spread across a a disk like the bits in a file could be spread across a a disk never that never occurred to me and and it's funny that it never occurred to me because you do you did used to hear a lot about defragging hard drives where like there was this thing i guess on some file systems it was a real thing but there was this this idea that Sometimes your data started getting scattered too much across a, a disk, and so you needed a defrag application to look at a file, figure out what inodes its little parts were on, and, and gather those parts and put them into sort of a new inode spread that was closer together and, and free up space elsewhere. And the theory was that this would sort of, I don't know, make your computer go faster. And maybe it did. I don't know. I, I was never on an, on an operating system and a file system that, that seemed to require that kind of maintenance. So who knows? But that was a thing a long time ago, so you might think, well, surely you would understand that files weren't like little little digital bundles. But I, I, I feel like I still, I feel like I thought that when there was a document icon on the screen, on like a desktop or something, and you moved that file icon into a folder, I mean, I really thought, I think, that you were moving it into a folder. I mean, I understood, again, that it was a digital representation of these things. But it still just kind of made sense to me, I guess, that 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 it was a, a very exact simulation. And if you think about what that would take for for a computer to 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 simulate that, like you can you can imagine it sort of. You know, you could think, okay, well, all right, so we'll we'll cordon off some portion of the hard drive and we'll we'll draw a finite space and we'll let the user put the documents into this finite space and you would think like okay well if it's going to be a simulation of the real world then eventually i mean like even in the real world if you have like a folder physical folder on your desk and you're cramming pages into it eventually there's a limit you know it might be a hundred pages sheets of of paper it might be 200 sheets of paper. It might be 500 sheets of paper. depending on big, how big this folder is, I guess. But at some point, you can no longer fit more paper into that, that space. So you'd think that there would be like a sort of a, a limit on a computer if it was a true simulation. And boy, would that be annoying. But for some reason, the absence of a limitation never occurred to me. You know, that, that didn't break the illusion that somehow that digital object the thing that they drew on the screen to help me understand you can put documents into this folder like in real life 
it never occurred to me that that wasn't a, a very true to life simulation and and there are lots of examples of that in computing i think where i mean even buttons and things like that it just never really occurred to me that those weren't sort of tiles of of some sort of like building construction kit inside of the computer and again i i don't mean i ever thought that it was a physical literal phys physical object it's just my understanding of how code must work was that i i guess i just thought that you just had you just had physical not physical but digital simulations of physical objects that you could kind of string together and eventually i think i i started to understand that yeah but in order to make those physical simulations there's like a bunch of text and stuff and and eventually i kind of understood that yeah to to get those physical representations it took a lot of typing but i don't know that i ever understood that that it went lower level, you know? I mean, like, I was very, very early on, or not very early on, but the earliest introduction to the concept of code that I had was, for instance, HTML. And HTML, you know, is a little bit like that. You know, you can just, especially early HTML, you could just make things sort of happen because there'd be an image. You don't know how the image got there on your computer, but you knew that if you did an image tag, then you could use that image to represent, for instance, a button. And you could tell that button where to go, and, and so on. So it's it's very much, I mean, you know, like a scripting language, I guess. And and that, I think, reinforced in a weird way sort of the magic of of all of these computer things. It's just that the tile, the tiles, the building materials exist on your computer, and as long as you know the scripting language, the HTML, or whatever, then you could make things appear, and you could use those tools yourself, and so on. And it, it took me a really long time, I think, to comprehend that what code actually looked like was, you know, like C, or C++, or Java, or Python, or whatever. It took me a long time to kind of grasp that that's what computer code looked like. Um, and I, I really, it, I, I feel like in a weird way, that simplification that is inherent, I guess, in a GUI. Um, it, it might be a little bit puzzling for people. It might be kind of distorting, you know, sort of reality for them or their their perception of reality, not literally distorting reality, but it, it, I think it might distort perception. I, I don't know how common that is, like the, 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 the process that I had to go through to understand what was going on underneath the, 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 the GUI. I, I don't know that that that's super common. I mean, I was very much brought up on a highly graphical system, so I, f I feel like maybe maybe it was somewhat unique, I don't know, or maybe it just, you know, maybe just my brain didn't make those connections, and maybe I'm the only other, uh, I'm the only person in the world not to make that connection. I don't know, but it did take a while, and I do wonder if, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, I mean, I'm I'm telling you, dear listener, that GUIs are overrated. I, I realize that this is not probably a hard sell to a lot of you. But I, I don't know. Sometimes I kind of feel like GUIs are a little bit overrated. Um, and I say that as someone who's running a GUI more often than not lately. I mean, honestly. I mean, that is to say, I boot to a GUI now on my Slackware system, whereas for years and years and years, I did not. And for a very long time, it was not even guaranteed that I would bother launching a GUI. Like, really? Like, I just didn't need it half the time. So, um, you know, I think lately I've, I've been a, I've been using a GUI a lot more often than, 
than I had been when I first switched to Linux. So, and yet I'm still saying that, yeah, I think graphical user interfaces are are a little bit deceptive. They're a little bit potentially confusing. And that's just something, I guess, to be aware of. I don't know what the, I don't know that there's an action item for that. I'm just um, saying that that's what happened with me. Okay, Deep Geek wrote in to weigh in on the the CD uh, topic, compact disc. He says, uh, Dear Clatu, wanted to chime in on the issues of CD media on your podcast. First, let me say that I thought there was an elephant in the room, but I guess not. I myself use CD and DVD and USB media, but my CD and DVD media use is about me going to the public library, checking out CDs containing classical music and DVDs of movies and shows, some of which are ignored classics that you can't get merely by clicking around on the cable box. Since there was no mention of this, I guess my behavior is even rarer than I thought. Back when zombie apocalypse movies were in vogue, I used to say, hey, just hide in a public library. Nobody, nobody's still alive finds me when I'm in there, so, let alone if they're a zombie. But that's uh, just a joke. So, yeah, this is Clat 2 now. Um, no, actually, you're... Deep Geek raises a great point. Um, media, CDs, DVDs, things like that are alive and well in public libraries as well. Um, I, I, I'm afraid I have to report a little bit that New Zealand, which is where I live right now, and, and have lived for the past uh, decade, so I guess saying right now is a little bit weird. So that's where I live. I live in New Zealand. And Public libraries here are not what you are maybe used to in at least America. Um, I don't know about elsewhere because I've only lived in for for any length of real time uh, in America and New Zealand. So I'm just comparing those two because that's what I know. But in 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 the U.S. in 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 the U.S.A. public libraries were honestly largely funded by. Andrew Carnegie, uh, he he sort of kicked it off. Apparently, that's what I've understood, and at least certainly the ones in my adult life that I've ever really frequented on a regular basis were all Carnegie libraries. So it was a big deal when public libraries in in, in the U.S. got started that they would contain books that were free for everyone to borrow, zero dollars. To borrow for some amount of time and then they had to bring it back in new zealand apparently and and i'm kind of this is still something i'm reverse engineering and studying up on but apparently in new zealand that was not necessarily ever an expectation and libraries here from from what i gather um they, they don't have sort of the charter that you that that they're necessarily zero dollars and so if you go to the public library in New Zealand, you will, you, yes, you'll find a whole whole bunch of books that are free to borrow, like zero dollars. But you will also find books and especially media like CDs and DVDs that you have to pay to borrow. Uh, it's also not a given that um, there's any kind of interlibrary network. So in the U.S., you can go to a library you can look up on the, um, for whatever reason, we still call it a card catalog, but it's usually on a computer. You can look up in, in the catalog for a book, and let's say they don't have the book there in the physical building that you're standing in. Well, if if the, if another library maybe across town has that book, then you can do an interlibrary loan where you ask for the book anyway. Even though it's physically not there, 
you can put in a sort of an order for that book and the library across town will eventually you know usually within a week or so um send the book to the other library to your local library and then you can go back to your local library and borrow the book because because your library is borrowing the book from another library it's called an interlibrary loan and then you can bring that book back to your library or to the originating library if you happen to be across town that day and you've got the book with you and you think oh yeah i finished this i might as well return it so either you know it doesn't matter and no you know, there's no penalty or anything like that but in new zealand you first of all apparently i think you have to pay for the interlibrary loan in in some places and then uh i think there's a rule about where you're able to bring it back to and then it also doesn't seem to be standardized across the country it seems to be it seems like the ones in wellington were different than the ones here on the south island um so it's a bit confusing to me and for that reason i i haven't been to public libraries as often as i usually would would be i go there for for books that i can't find elsewhere but i've I, I I don't know. I've always been kind of a paperback book person anyway. I really love just buying old, cheap, pulpy, fic, you know, science fiction and fantasy books from like secondhand bookstores and things like that. So honestly, at this point, I, I kind of, I'm kind of enjoying that it, anyway. So, so the, my reason to go to my local library is, has diminished in that sense. But also there's just a, the fact that my local library doesn't have a whole lot of stuff that I'm all that interested in they have they have some books here and there that i'm that that i i check out but there's a lot of stuff that i just yeah it's just not there and if i tried to get an interlibrary loan it would be really complex and possibly it would cost money and at that point i might as well just go and and spend you know two bucks on some cheap pulp fiction book from the used bookstore or or from trade me or something uh which is the new zealand version of ebay um, and just own the thing outright and, and not bother with the loaning and, and bringing it back and so on. So that's kind of where I'm at right now with public libraries. And that's why in my real life experience, CDs and DVDs, which would have been normally quite common for me to get from the public library, it really hasn't been a thing for me since New Zealand. Prior to that, I used to go to libraries for CDs, uh, yeah, CDs and DVDs all the time. And especially the DVDs, I mean, because I had a graveyard shift for a while back in the U.S. And um, there's nothing like um, Nova nature documentaries at 2 a.m. until about 5 a.m. You know, like those wee small hours of the night, you need something. And, and a lot of times it would be just documentaries for me. And it was very enjoyable, but not really happening that much anymore. Okay, so he says, nevertheless, I think that we are a victim of our fellow purchasers of media in a certain way. You see, decent, long-lasting media costs more than bottom dollar media. When all the other consumers in the market are demanding cheap, 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 the market responds by giving them what they want. I do think that the first year, for first few years of blank CDs would have lasted much longer than the recent year, um, the recent output of, of blank CDs. So in other words, this is Klaatu again. Deep Geek is saying that he believes that CD quality has gone down. And I'm inclined to believe that that could be true. I I, I would still want proof. I mean, uh, to me, in my mind, I, I did have early media at one point and didn't find it to be all that great. But maybe what's early to me isn't what 
early what early is to deep geek maybe he was you know if he was an earlier adopter of cdr than i was then yeah we could be talking about two different quote-unquote early stages of that of that um market so he talks a little bit about how that um expands out into other things so for instance like the quality of thumb drives and such aren't necessarily all the same or even sd cards and, and things like that i was talking to ice cream 95 about that on mastodon um there are I, I and i think that's correct i mean i think that the the market um i i I think that you do kind of have to look at what you're buying. The The problem with saying that, though, is that what do you look for? It's not like they mark themselves, really. They don't they don't they don't warn you, hey, I'm going to uh, short circuit in three months or, you know, I'm going to I'm going to snap between your fingers while you're trying to push me into the Raspberry Pi uh, SD card slot. They, they don't they don't they don't tell you that on the packaging. So and and it's easy to look at packaging and just think well this one looks really fancy i guess and it feels like it's pretty expensive so this is probably good quality and then you purchase it and you know 3 months later the drive um has died on you because you you wrote too many bits to it too you know over over the course of time and and i know that that solid state media is has a finite lifespan and so on um at least that's what they tell me I mean, honestly, I've I've got a uh, ridiculous 16 gigabyte. I've, I've talked about this before. I got a 16 gig SSD drive that I I got ages ago, and it's still running. It's it's now powering a um a backup or not a backup, but like a, a spare computer in my little home lab. Um, it 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 boots to uh, Magia uh, eight right now just for fun. And it's it's great, you know, because it makes my it makes this ridiculously old Intel Core Two Duo desktop that I have acquired from from um, a local business that was going to throw it out, uh, and and it makes it run relatively respectfully, respectably, really. It, it, it's actually it's really really impressive. I'm going to do a talk about that a little bit uh, when we go over XFCE because that's what I'm that's what I'm using it as is my experiment for XFCE. So. It's, um, it's, uh, you know, apparently, yes, they have a finite lifespan as most things in life do. And yet it does seem to be wildly variable because I definitely have had USB thumb drives, for instance, that don't last very long versus this SSD drive that everyone was telling me, oh, you better be careful. Those things don't last for very long. They're going to die on you, and when they die, they give you no warning. And all these other these stories that I've heard about how horrible SSD drives could be, and yet my oldest one is still functioning really, really... Actually, yeah, and I've got a 500-gig one that's still working quite well as well. I've got these things that are they're ancient, and they seem to... And I don't know how I stumbled across really good quality ones, because I didn't know I was buying good quality. I was just buying names that I vaguely recognized. So it, it's difficult, and... And I think that's kind of part of the problem, really. And by problem, I mean problem. Like, it's just, I don't know. Capitalism, I don't think, is a perfect system. Let's put it that way. And and this is one aspect of capitalism that I think I think betrays much about it. And that, and that is that the, the market demands cheap, the market provides cheap, but fails to distinguish between the two, cheap and quality. Doesn't, doesn't let you know which is which. Well, that's because, obviously better profits are are possible if they don't tell you and and just everything's cheap but they they make the packaging look higher quality or lesser quality 
Um, so it's it's a good it's a good system if 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 your if your only win condition is uh, making maximum profits, but not for much else. Interestingly, so that's um that's Deep Geek's email, and I think that's about everything I have for this episode. Thanks for listening. Uh, hopefully the the long journey through the file permissions was either enlightening or at least sometimes surprising to you. Thanks for for hanging out. Let's talk again this time next week. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open at this time, you work yourself toward a point of hysteria. You remember, you worry, you imagine, and then you collapse.